This is Wolves Weekly. With Mikey Burrows. Featuring the biggest names from past and present. All the teams, all the talking points. Hello there, I'm Mikey Burrows and welcome to Wolves Weekly. With the first team on international duty, we're doing things slightly differently this week. This is a special episode talking to the former Wolves goalkeeper John Ruddy in his first interview with the club since his departure last summer. We'll talk about the incredible journey that he and the club have been on in the last couple of years, including his views on that famous night in Cardiff. But we start by talking about the unusual circumstances of his arrival as a replacement for Carl Ikemi, who'd just been diagnosed with leukaemia. In all honesty, it was difficult circumstances for, for everybody involved. Obviously, that he was going to miss all of, if not a massive part of the season, which he obviously did. And then from Wolves' point of view, they needed to get a replacement in. And it was just what had to be done. And I think it was fortunate on, on the club's part that I was out of contract. I was a free agent. You know, I was still waiting for offers. And funnily enough, I spoke to Ryan Bennett a couple of days before and he was like, oh, you should try and get here, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, well, you've got Keems and all of this, so you know, you don't need a keeper, you're sorted. And then obviously uh, Keems got diagnosed and, you know, sort of, Ben, I was like, look, we need a keeper, what are you doing? And I was like, well, nothing. I was like, I'm literally just sat here waiting for someone to take me. So he's like, right, I'll put it into Kev Fairwell at the time. Obviously he was at the club. Um, and I've got my agent to ring Kev as well. And... I think that was on a that was on a Wednesday, and I think by the I think the Thursday everything had been agreed, and then I spoke to Nuno on the phone on the Thursday evening, and I came up on the Friday, had the had the weekend to get myself sorted, and then we literally travelled to Austria for pre-season on the Monday, so it was just like a big whirlwind of going from being unsure what I'm doing that season to four days later being on a plane on the way to Austria as a Wolves player. So, you know, it was, um, like I said, it was really difficult circumstances for the club, but, for, you know, for, for everybody involved, you know, myself as well, um, to come in and try and, and try and fill a void as big as Carl. It's uh, it's not an easy thing to do as a, as a personality and, and as a goalkeeper. So, you know, that was something that we had to be very cautious and delicate about because it was so raw in the players' minds and, he had such good relationships with the, the players that were there. So, you know, we had to, be, had to be very, very delicate in that situation. And, you know, I think for, for the club's point of view, it fairly fortunate I was available. Um, and from my point of view, it, it worked out quite well. So, you know, it was one of those things that you never know what's around the corner. And, and thankfully for, for all of us, everything worked out all right in the end, um, Carl included. I, I always have such immense amount of sympathy for you because uh, I remember your first interview um, stood outside uh, the back entrance to the training ground, which well looked a bit different to, to what it looks like now. Um, and having a conversation before we did the interview, because I remember you saying to me, what, what do I say here? Because you can't say the normal things about why a club is bringing you in. And, and it, 
And I wonder how much it comes down to your level of character and confidence in yourself to to take on being that person who comes in in that situation. Yeah, and, and again, circumstance probably dictated as well. You know, I was I needed I needed to join a club effectively. Um, Wolves needed to replace someone like Carl. And if you look at it in terms of age profile, career experience, profile in terms of a goalkeeper, you know, there wasn't much to choose between us. You know, the ages were similar, the career paths had been similar, the profile of and stature of us is, is similar. So, you know, from Wolves' point of view, they were they were getting certainly as as, as good as they, they had. And, you know, in terms of that, I think they couldn't have asked for a better replacement, if you like, for, for Carl, because as I said, it's such a big void to fill. It's, you know, I've played against Carl over over the course of the years and always been immensely impressed with him as a goalkeeper and the way he carried himself. Got to know him over the last few years as well. You know, he's just an, an unbelievable fellow as well. So it sounds weird, but the more I've got to know him from being at Wolves and, and up to this period now, if I'd have known about him what I know now, it would have been even more daunting because of the type of person he is, because he's such an impressive individual. Without knowing him personally, when I signed for the club, I thought it was literally just looking at it from a professional goalkeeper point of view and saying, yeah, I can I can step into to his shoes, if you like. So, you know, without knowing anything else, which was probably good at the time. You arrived in what was quite a, an exciting period in terms of the fact that we had literally just signed Ruben Neves, and uh, Diogo Jota was on the way in as well. You mentioned, obviously, Ryan Bennett, your good pal, Willie Bolly, another who came in at that time. When you looked around the dressing room on that first trip away, did, what did you think? Because all of a sudden, it's kind of like you're not just going in to, to, to take over in this situation. You're there because this is a team that wants to be promoted. Yeah, and, and that was the ambition. I remember the first conversation I had with, with Nuno. Um, in the office and, and his staff were in there. You know, it was a very easy, easygoing conversation. Um, and at the end of it, we just finished with, right, let's get the job done. Let's get promoted. That's what we're all here for. And and that was the message. It wasn't widely spoken about. You know, it was just, we've got a team here who have experienced individuals like myself, like Danny, like Benno. Obviously, Edo was still in the building at the time. You know, so you still have those experienced bodies who have been there and done that in the championship. But now you're you're filtering in these these foreign players coming over who are bringing in immense quality. But more than that, and I've always said this, more than the quality they brought on the pitch, the likes of Ruben, Ruben especially, Diogo, Bolly, Roderick, you know, they were bringing in really good people. And and to build a culture like we built over the course of those the five years I was there requires first and foremost, good people who want to improve, who want to create standards that will always be maintained and and, and improve. Um, and that was the biggest thing that the club got right. You know, you could sign world beaters. You know, you could go and spend 15 million on players that you know will win you games. But if they're no good in this change room, then it doesn't really matter. You know, like I said, we've Helder and Cav were already there. Great people. Brought in Ruben, Bolly, Diogo, Roderick, Barry, you know, 
uh, Alfred and I, great people. Saïs was in there, unbelievable person. So we already had a great group of people. Now it was about, can we gel as quickly as we can? Can we play the way Nuno's asking us to play? And can we do that on a consistent basis? And, and we did that from the very start. I think even, you know, we had teething problems early on because of the, the change of shape. But the way Nuno coached it, especially in Austria, was so relentless that you couldn't help but know your jobs. And if you didn't know your jobs, done, out, no problem. He'll move on, he'll get someone else who knows the job. And that was that was a real eye-opener as well to see that relentlessness and and ruthlessness come through and go, listen, we're, we're heading one way. You're either pushing with us or you're out. You know, we weren't carrying anybody and that, and that, was, that was a massive thing. Because you mentioned about being, I guess, a figure in the dressing room. To be able to do that as quickly as you did, there's the video of that first game at Middlesbrough where against Middlesbrough, where the camera is on the pitch to kind of record you all doing the team huddle with the Carl motif on the background. And um, it catches you saying one or two things. Um, but it proper that properly endeared you to the fans at the time. Yeah, but that was, I don't you're in the heat at the moment. You know, it, it was a big, like first, it was a big season for me. You know, I, I, I'd just been released from Norwich. They had an option on me for that season. They decided against taking it, which for me, I still think was was probably the wrong decision from their point of view. And I had a lot, of, a lot of things to prove, more to myself than anybody else. But I was also trying to prove people wrong. You know, I was 30 years old, been released from Norwich after being there for, for seven years and, and being the outright number one for the whole time. And now it was like, right, well, I've got to restart. And I'm 30, I've got to reset and go again. And now it was, you know, again, the group of people that we had there made it easier to adapt. And, you know, trips like the Austria trip, I've got no time to feel nervous or to, to be edgy around anybody. You're straight in. You're in, a, you're in an environment where you're just in together. You know, yes, I had Benno there, but Benno moments are fun. He's, you can you can spend a few, a couple of hours with Benno, but any longer than that, and you just start feeling feeling sorry for yourself. Um, but it was it was just a really good way to get started for me. Um, I think obviously, the longer that preseason went on, the the closer we got as a unit and, and as a squad. That came out not only in the first game but then moving forward and we knew we had to start well and we couldn't really have had a tougher start I think Middlesbrough had just come down on their favourites for promotion they'd spent a lot of money as well which a lot of people forget you know they'd spent money it was a big starting point for us to try and put our marker down well yeah and you made that point emphatically to your teammates um, uh, as people might have seen on the clip I don't want to go through everything in that first season because there's a uh, was an awful lot and we could be here for hours if we did so but there is a, 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 what, two and a half week period, really, where it's Middlesbrough away, it's Cardiff away, it's Derby at home, and I think Hull at home might have been in the middle of that as well. Middlesbrough and Cardiff, yeah. Which is, and look, I know everybody talks to you about Cardiff, and I also know that you're not actually that big on that Cardiff game because you had bigger performances within it. It's simply the drama of that moment. But that's why I ask about that couple of weeks, because that couple of weeks is an incredible defining moment for that group and that season. Yeah, that was huge. 
you know, if you get the, the Middlesbrough game was on a Friday night after an international break and we had a lot of players away who didn't get back until probably the Wednesday, a couple on Thursday. I think Saiz didn't get back until the Thursday. Hence the reason he was laid out on the floor on, on the Riverside, you know, because he travelled for Morocco, played for Morocco, got back so late and then put in a shift like he did against Middlesbrough. Obviously, we went down to, to 10 men as well. Um, nine men, in fact, because uh, I think, yeah, because we even got sent, sent off late on, didn't it? And, and docked docked it. Oh, yeah. So to come through that game with a victory was huge. Then we move on to Tuesday against Hull at home, where everyone's thinking, right, easy three points. Oscar Rasmussen comes up with an unbelievable last-minute equaliser to get, to get a, in the end, what turned out to be a valuable point. And then, obviously, Cardiff was on the, on the Friday as well. So the turnaround of that week, was something like which it, again you probably shouldn't have to play that quickly after an international break you shouldn't have that many games in quick succession but you know credit to to the staff to the physio department the sports science department who were made us recover in, in ways that obviously proved to be very effective because not only was it that season, but the season's moving forward, especially under Nuno, the recovery aspect and to get through the amount of games that some of the boys did was phenomenal. But that week in particular was just crazy. Like I said, the victory against Middlesbrough point and the last minute equaliser against Hull and then obviously Cardiff on a Friday where we'd been on a bad run before that. Before the Middlesbrough game, we had a, we had a bit of a bad spell. I think we lost to Villa. I think Norwich was in there at home when I'd let one let a loose one slip in in the last minute. I think we were if we'd lost against Cardiff, I think we were three points in front of them. We end up winning with nine, with nine points with a handful of games left, and I think that was the that was the moment where you sort of thought we've done it, you know, without standing big headed. But we got in that changing room at the end, and you could sense the relief of winning that game, especially, as you said, because of the dramatic effect of, of the last, the two penalties and what have you. And to come through with that, um, yeah, it was huge. And I remember being on the bus and, and we sat at the back of the bus, me, Ben, uh, Danny, Combs and all that. We had, and we just turned to Rui, the assistant, and went, Rui, surely we can have a beer. He's going, oh, we'll see what we can do. So him and Nuno actually went across to the Tesco's over the road from Cardiff Stadium and brought a couple of crates of beer onto the bus so we could have them on the way back. And you just thought, you know what? If ever there was a moment that you could just go and sit and enjoy a moment, that was it. And it was, we'd worked so hard for the whole season and then up to that week. And then to, to finish it off like that was massive. It's funny you say that, though, because I've told this story a few times whereby I was supposed to be on a night out with all the other media lads in Cardiff. And I was so emotionally drained after that week uh, that I literally, I drove home and I slept for about 12 hours because it, it was it was so much. But one of the things that really stands out to me is the fact that, I mean, having talked to you about it subsequently, you don't like being referred to in, in that moment in just about Cardiff, do you? It's about more than that for you. I don't think that's just me. I think if you asked any of the players, I think, you know, if you ask Ruben, you know, everyone will, will pick out the goal against Derby. But look at what he'd done over the course of the season. Look at the other goals he scored. You know, they're, they're massive goals, what he scored. You know, but that one moment 
doesn't define his whole season. That derby goal doesn't define the season he had. You know, for me, I just felt he got lost a little bit with the, the contribution that I had during the whole season. You know, yes, there was a couple of goals where I could probably do better. Like I said, the Norwich goal, uh, I think there was Cardiff away early doors. Uh, sorry, Cardiff at home early doors where I felt I got beaten a little bit too easy. And, and you're going to have that as a goalkeeper. You know, we had a moment of QPR away. I remember Connor Washington's goal. I've come out and spread and it's hit me, hit him and gone in. And it's like, you can't legislate for those things, but you're still getting blamed for those things. But then I look at the rest of it and I say, well, Middlesbrough at home, first game of the season, made a big save when we won the up. You know, we, we win the game, red in a way, made a couple of big saves when we won the up. We then go and score another. And and it's games like that and contributions like that that I think get overlooked. And and I'm not taking anything away from the Cardiff penalty save because at that moment and at that stage of the season, it was massive. But that was, I think that was the 40th, 41st game maybe. You know, there's, there's all of those games yeah. gone before. And I kept... 24 clean sheets that season so that was just one one clean sheet you know some games I didn't have much to do no problem um, I love those games but you know majority of the time you keep a clean sheet because you're, you're doing what you need to do and sometimes it goes unnoticed and sometimes it gets more more recognition than than other things so yeah for me I, I don't like being defined as my I don't want my Wolves career to be defined as the Cardiff game but I understand it will. But for me, that whole first season, that was a reflection of me as a goalkeeper more so than just one game. I remember having a long conversation with you in the Dome at the training grounds that following summer when you knew that Rui Patricio was coming in and your role was going to change. And I know that you had certain conversations about how much of a challenge or how much of an opportunity you were going to get. How did you come to terms with your role changing and and where that left you at the football club moving forward? Honestly, you know what, looking back, I was probably a little bit naive because the only reason why it didn't affect me that much was because I still thought I was good enough to play. And with all due respect, like obviously we had me, Will Norris, Harry Burgoyne in the championship season. I knew they were going to bring another keeper in that following season if we got promoted because they had to. You know, you couldn't carry us three. With all due respect to us, you couldn't carry the three of us because you wouldn't go into a Premier League season carrying those three keepers. As good as we were, as great as we were around the place, you needed something a little bit different or, you know, something that you'd deem more reliable that people would. You know, and, and it was obvious with the connections the club had that something was coming in from from abroad you know it just so happened to be Paul George number one who's subsequently gone on to win 100 caps and was a, a fantastic goalkeeper in his own right but I've always said the same thing Rue was very very good at what he did but he wasn't being asked to do anything else do you know what I mean so and look at Nuno's last season you know for me Rue was average to poor for a lot of that season for his standards. But I never got the opportunity still. Nuno leaves, Bruno comes in, wants a completely different style as goalkeeper. So for me, it was obvious that Rue was going to move on because his limitations meant Bruno couldn't have played the way that he wanted to. Jose came in and was the keeper he wanted him to be. More aggressive in his starting position. Distribution was better. 
you know, came for crosses and, and actively dominated his box. Things that, in all fairness, Rui doesn't do. And Rui didn't need to do because of the way we played under Nuno. You know, low block, defend the box, stay compact. Rui makes saves when you need to. And for that first two seasons, he was unbelievable. But like I said, like from my point of view, uh, I had a conversation with Nuno and he effectively said to me, you get to choose if you want to stay or not. He said, if you tell me you want to leave, I'm keeping Danny Barth in. If you tell me you, you're happy to stay and, and wait for your opportunity and fight for your chance, I can let Danny leave. But I need one of you in the building for what we were as, as individuals. So, you know, I made the choice to stick around because, like I said, I felt, A, I deserved an opportunity and I felt I should have started that following season, regardless of Rui coming in. I felt I should have been given the, the opportunity to play. But B, I still felt as and when the opportunity arose, I was good enough to perform. And, and like I said, as it, as it turns out, it, I wasn't given that opportunity and that was probably a little bit of naivety on my point. And, and that was, I made that point the following season, just before COVID, when I was left out of the Espanol away game, which was the last. Like it, it, that one stung really bad for me, to be honest. I was thinking about this earlier, that sometimes players, I think, don't, um, don't recognise maybe the impact and role they have at a football club until they've gone. And sometimes maybe not even ever, because you move on, you do something else at another football club and you keep going through. And whilst it was, I, I can fully accept it was frustrating for you not playing as much as you wanted. I don't know whether you fully appreciate how important you were to even as a as a figure for the fans to look at, you know those those images of you greeting the players coming in from every single game, is something that stood out for a lot of people because it showed the spirit and the character and and everything that that people on the outside looking in wanted Wolves to be and still want Wolves to be. And I don't know, say I'm not blowing smoke up you for for saying that. I just I don't know whether you know that really the the lasting impact that you had on a lot of people and the inspiration that you were that's nice but it's ultimately it's what you are as an individual and and i'll be honest i i had a spell when i was at norwich and i got dropped out of the team and when i got told i wasn't playing the day before we played what for the way i was told i wasn't playing and that was the first time in my career at norwich that i'd been dropped and for the whole of that day I never said a word. I was fuming, but I kept it inside. And then the following day, I woke up and I was like, do you know what? Why am I being an arsehole? You know, I haven't played well enough. Do I agree with the reasons? No, but I haven't been consistent enough. I haven't been good enough. Deck, who came in for me, has been training really well. He's played really well when he's given the opportunity. So now it's about me trying to make him feel comfortable and as ready as he can be. Now, that was a mindset switch to go, I'm not big time. I'm not somebody who goes, oh, I'm not playing. It's not my, it's everyone else's fault. I'm nothing to do with it and all of this. Ultimately, the pressure's off because I'm not playing. So results are something that you look at and go, right, where could we go better? What did we do wrong? And I could look at it from a, an objective point of view because I'm not in inside the pitch, if you like. In terms of on a daily basis, it was about making sure people were ready. You know, I came the first season in the Prem. I remember Jota was didn't start the first few games, and and he was 
he was an angry, angry man, Jota, when he didn't get his way. So, you know, I remember pulling him after one session on the day after games. We used to train and, and we had to do you know, a session with the players who didn't play. And I remember pulling him one day because he was just awful. And I went, listen, nobody wants to be in this session. We all think we should be playing. I said, but when you're in this session, what do you think they're looking for? They're not looking to see who is kicking up a fuss and who's getting in the mood or who's scoring. They're looking for an attitude. They're looking for you getting after the ball, putting effort in, making sure the intensity is right because ultimately this is our work day. You know, the players who have played are inside, they're doing recovery, right? They've earned the recovery because they played yesterday. But we need to get our work in now and we need to make sure the standards that we're setting in these sessions are high because then whoever drips into it and whoever doesn't play and comes into these sessions, no, they can't just toss it off and have a jolly up. And that's the way you set standards moving forward. And that's the way you increase competition for places because everybody is at it on a daily basis, whether you're playing or not playing. And that was my mindset. It was like, what am I going to get from the day? You know, I do my bit with Barbosa and, and Tony Roberts when he came in and I've done my goalkeeper bit. And I made sure I got everything I could out of that. I'd do my bit in the gym, make sure I was physically in, in a condition to, to be ready and, and able to perform as and when needed. But then it was about, like I said before, it was about creating standards throughout the whole, the whole squad. You know, we had very, very good people who it didn't take a lot of reminding. You know, they knew what they needed to do. You know, you might have to give them a, a rocket in the arse a, a couple of times just to get them back on track. Everyone has bad days, but make sure those bad days are very, very few and far between. Because when you do get the opportunity, if you don't perform, everyone's going to say, well, that's because you didn't do it right. And you don't want to give people excuses to not pick you. You know, give them excuses. Make sure your direct competition for your place is performing well enough so they can go, I wish I could give you the opportunity, but he's playing well. He's playing too good. You know, I can't take him out. And that was my mindset. It was like, I've got to make sure I'm doing what, what's best for me. But then that also reflects on the rest of the team and certainly the, the other goalkeeper that's playing. When you look back on it, I know the manner in which you left, left a bit of a sour taste for you. The fact that you, you kind of saw it out at Liverpool, um, but didn't get that kind of proper chance to to go on your own terms in some respect. But having said what you've said, do you now think that, Actually, despite the fact I think you would have stayed, if that's probably fair to say, was it a good thing to move on when you did and, and get a new lease of life now at Birmingham? Yeah. <laughs> the only reason it, it left a sour taste in my mouth was because of the conversations that had come before. You know, I was I was ready to leave. You know, I'd, I'd already actively said just past Christmas that uh, I'm leaving in the summer. I then found out there was an option on my contract. I didn't know there was. That's why I was so set in leaving. I was like, I'm at the end of the contract. It's easy for me to leave, for the club to let me leave. You know, we're part ways. I'll go and finish my career and, and try and play as many games as I can. And then, like I said, found out there's an option and the club were like, oh, we're going to take the option. And I was like, okay. At the end of the day, it's your option. If you're telling me you're taking it, there's nothing I can do about that. Like, I'm not going to kick up a fuss. I'm not going to down tools. You know, I, I enjoy being at the club and I really, really enjoy being at the club. There's amazing people at the club and I, I got on with so many people 
who who I still speak to today, and, and I, I wish the club nothing but the best. But then to have that where they're telling me they're going to take the option, and then two days before the end of the season, I get told, actually, we're not going to take the option, we're going to release you. It's like I've just wasted probably two, two and a half months where I could be finding another team for next season. That's the knock-on effect it has. It, it stops you being able to, you know, I said to my wife, I told my wife, I'm staying at Wolves for another year. So, you know, another year of me living away for half the week and, we, you know, we just keep doing it as we have done. Again, not ideal, but we made it work. You know, so we were getting our heads around that. And then all of a sudden the plans changed completely. And it's like, well, actually, I'll be home on Monday or Sunday after the Liverpool game. And I don't know where I'll be going next. And that's the only reason it left a sour taste in the mouth is because of those, because of what came before. But like I said, I've got no issue with anybody at the club. I really loved my time at Wolves. I really did. And, and I wish the club nothing but the best. When you look back on, on this period, because you'd had a huge amount of success before you arrived at Wolves, um, to have gone through what you went through in such a short period of time, I think people forget sometimes how quickly it all developed from promotion to FA Cup semi-final to Europa League quarter-final. That whole period up until COVID stopped everything is one of the most remarkable trajectories that a football club has gone on. To have been inside it, to have seen it, to have been on the ride, I mean, that's almost career-defining, isn't it? Yeah, for, for obviously for a lot of us, it, it changed changed our past for the rest of their career. You know, I, I was slightly different. I'd come into it older. I obviously didn't play as big a role in the, in the Premier League and and then the Europa League um, campaigns. But, you know, you look at someone like Codes, completely changed his career, completely changed his career. And that, and that is full credit to him for taking the information on board and taking the challenge on board that was set to him by Nuno. Um, to change his position into into the middle of the three. Matt Doherty completely changed the trajectory of his career. Massively underrated player, Doc, by the way, in terms of what he can offer a team. Massively underrated. I, I felt he was, uh, wasn't was used in the right way at Tottenham under any manager. And I felt he wasn't given a fair opportunity um, because he in that first season in the Prem, he was, without a doubt, the best wing-back in the league, easily. Um, you know, and people like that says, you know, his career when, when he played, people forget he played the whole season in midfield next to Ruben and then dropped into the back three in, in the Premier League and, and moving forward. You know, again, a massively underrated player who was so intelligent, could play in any any position he, he wanted to. Um, you know, and obviously you've got then the, the superstars, if you like, who, who came in, you know, you got Ruben, Tino came in, and again, you know, the standards he was setting in training on a daily basis from where he'd been were, were incredible. Raul coming in, you know, you got all of these players who have come in and contributed towards that success, Patricio and Saar. And, you know, to be part of that and and to see, like you said, that growth, I don't think the, the club and certainly the people who were there at the time get anywhere near enough credit for what happened then. You know, in that three-year period, that was that was like you said, it's unprecedented. Really, no one's done it since, and no one uh, since us, and, and very uh, very few before. But we'll always be beaten with the stick of the 
contacts with George Mendes. I'm not buying it because there are clubs across the country, across the world, who will rely on certain agents and certain networks that will do the same thing that Wolves did. The only difference is Wolves were able to do that with a plan in place. You know, they weren't buying players and saying, oh, we'll hope to get promoted and then all of a sudden finding themselves in the financial hole. You know, it was a building block and it was a process of the club getting to where they wanted to be. I think because of that, we don't get anywhere near enough credit as, as we should. And, and that's a shame because people don't see the hard work that went into creating that and the belief, the belief in the in what we were doing and what Nuno instilled in, in the group in terms of the way we played. I've never played under a manager who just said, this is how we play. We don't change for anybody. And we do it consistently and we believe in it and we stick to it. And we did that. And, you know, like I said, over the course of those three seasons, it was it was clear for everybody to see that, you know, we, we, were, we were a force to be reckoned with. Thanks for listening to the all-new Wolves Weekly from Wolves Radio. Don't forget to give us a follow at Wolves across social media. And all the very latest is at wolves.co.uk or on the move via the Wolves app.